Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, President of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined in studio today by President Wyatt. Hi, Scott. Hello, Steve. This is a beautiful day, and this is a fun topic we have. Yeah, I'm uh, actually looking forward to this. So for our, uh, our longtime devoted listeners, I'm talking to you, Mom. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, for <laughs> people that have joined us before, uh, they know that typically at this point, uh, I will ask you to introduce our guest, but I'm going to take the honors today, and, uh, and that's because I chose the guest. We've chosen as our topic, YouTube versus higher education, and just generally a perception that there maybe is a death of expertise uh, or, or that... Uh, uh, anyway, that, that's the topic that we're that we're going to hit around today. And and our guest joining us by phone from Salt Lake City is one of my favorite people to talk with and a great friend. His name is Dan Andreg. Dan, hi, it's great to be here. So you and I haven't actually known each other all that long, probably three years, almost four years now. And I met you because your name was given to me by somebody that I trusted as I was looking to build a curriculum in music technology here at Southern Utah University. And uh, I contacted you, and you had a very, very impressive resume. And uh, so what I'd like to do first is I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your resume. You're a trained composer. It's not what you do as your day job right now, but uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Thank you. So I, uh, you're right. I, uh, I am a trained composer. I actually started getting my bachelor's in piano performance, though. I uh, went to the University of Utah and um, decided to go in, into a master's program in film music composing at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, which was really an eye-opening experience for me. I went from a remarkably classical, um, almost bordering on conservatory-style music education at the University of Utah and jump straight into what would be maybe considered somewhat heretical by higher education standards at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Very focused on um, practical application. Um, after that, I went to uh, internship with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences in LA. Now that was and that was a big award, right? That you it were, was, it was yeah. a competitive thing that you got to work with the uh, the Emmy folks. You're right. That's right. It was a competitive thing. I applied. They actually run an internship program for a couple of months that it spans many, many areas of television produ production. And I happened to just be the one that was awarded the one for music, which was an awesome experience. Really, uh, I can't think of a better on-ramp into television and film music in Los Angeles straight out of school. I was writing music for... Um, Danny Lux, who composes for Grey's Anatomy, so he was throwing cues my way to write, and um, 
lots of other shows. Many of them aren't as recognizable as Crazy Anatomy, but it was an absolutely wonderfully eye-opening learning experience where I learned the business. I learned the the things that you learn in somewhat of an apprentice style on the job um, moment. And that turned into from the internship, I was hired and worked there um, for a couple of television seasons. So then um, so, we had a little so bit of a Dan, transition. Just a, just a small comment. So you as the composer of music in Grey's Anatomy, that means that we've all got some connection with you because we've all heard some of that music. <laughs> there you go. Great. We have degrees of relationship of one. There you go. <laughs> yep. You're right. So uh, it was a great experience. Really, I loved it. I love the craft of it, absolutely. But um, got to a time where my family and I decided to make a career change, basically, um, for more balance for ourselves. And I was able to get a job with an online education company called Pluralsight.com doing some editing work. They're a video-based training company. Um, and I think the the interesting thing there is that I started to recognize my desire to um, not transform, but really add um, some value into education and some practicality into a lot of the things that that as a student myself, I wanted to learn. Um, and so the timing for Steve and I to meet was fortuitous and perfect. And, and that led us to working together on this degree and really trying to apply some of our own philosophy to to what maybe maybe is really timely and applicable today. You probably only meet four or five, uh, less than 10 anyway, colleagues in your life with whom you share an obvious uh, philosophical kinship that is so strong that you bond almost immediately. And and that was, I won't say that you felt that way about me, crazy guy calling you from Cedar City out of the blue, but but uh, uh, I felt that way with you almost immediately because, of, as you as you say, we had had similar backgrounds, lots of classical training, and then we dared commit the heresy of um, <laughs> being involved in commercial applications of what we were learning. Uh, and I don't share much about my life, but uh, um, uh, that that was actually a big aspect of my late teens all the way through my 40s was, was being thought of um, poorly sometimes in some in some traditional musical fields because i uh i actually you know i was actually singing on xena warrior princess or uh, on a disney film or whatever it was that that i somehow was um you know was selling my my artistry and my creativity and my training short uh, i always figured that i should make a living as a singer with whoever would pay me, uh, but uh, that's because I'm, I'm kind of funny and entrepreneurial that way. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let me butt in there. I absolutely felt the, the same way. It was as if we were, without even trying, we were understanding each other as we were talking about about what we were creating. It was wonderful. So you and I went through this process of creating a new master's degree in music technology, and that's not the point of this podcast. Although I will say. Uh, check us out at uh, suu.edu slash music technology. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, uh, seriously, search SUU music technology and find our master's degree. But one of the things that you and I did from the very beginning was we had the conversation of 
what do we want the curriculum to look like, and what are the hard questions that people are going to ask us. And one of the questions that that we came up with right off the bat that ironically no one ever did ask us uh, as we were getting the degree approved and so forth was this. If a student were to present themselves to us and say, why should I pay you graduate tuition for three semesters when I could learn everything that you're going to teach me on YouTube in a series of tutorials? We, we felt like we needed to have a ready answer for that. And I, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today was because of your background with me in that, but also of your background with Pluralsight, and, uh, which is a, a for-pay uh, commercial training organization. And at, how, do we, how do we answer those questions in a world where people feel like they are one WebMD visit away from being a doctor or one YouTube tutorial uh, away from being Frank Lloyd Wright or whoever? Um, how, how do we, how do, what, what extra value does higher education add that you cannot get through a YouTube tutorial? So I will, I will try and let you speak. I have so many thoughts, <laughs> but I honestly, um, when I was, when I was contemplating this and, uh, contemplating my masters, um, I realized that yes, I was in a classroom. It was very practical, project-based. We were writing music every single week, and and somewhat in a, a group peer reviewing our, our ourselves and our peers. But I realized I thought, okay, what about texts? What texts did we use? And I I our texts were videos. They were YouTube videos in in the classroom, and other videos that were curated by a knowledgeable experienced professor um and that's part of why i thought maybe maybe my master's was really unique is that um i will admit that there is a wealth of knowledge whether it's youtube or a, a paid for service like pluralsight or anywhere else there's so many places online you can find this information whether it is um you know, paid for or not, there is a wealth of knowledge and I could learn information. It's just at my fingertips about anything. I mean, I, I could learn quantum mechanics. Someone has put the information online, um, but curating it because there is so much of it, the quality of that needs to be curated by somebody who actually understands the subject. And then beyond that, there's a mentorship element to it that that teaches you application so you know i can read if i want to learn photography i can read and read and read and read all about lighting and how to use lighting and then go experience experiment with it but who's going to tell me who's right or wrong in an environment that i'm going to learn it in a safe way unless i go out there and get a bunch of gigs and take you know, people's money and take their pictures and get the lighting really wrong and have a whole bunch of really mad customers. I'm going to learn from that, but it's a lot, a lot of painful, painful uh, time. And you probably feedback. are out of business before you get the lesson all the way learned. Right. You know, word of mouth, I, I, there's no way I'm going to get more clients in that city. Right. So I, I really feel like the benefit there is curating the right content, um, finding the content that teaches the right thing with 
out misinformation. Um, there are a lot of people that put stuff online that have learned it themselves or learned it from another YouTube tutorial, and they may just not know a couple of pitfalls because they haven't run into them yet. But a trusted mentor um, who's curated it and guides you through the process of implementing it into your own art, or or maybe you're not doing art, is invaluable, absolutely invaluable. And that that is prolonged after you receive your actual degree piece of paper and walk away from school. Um, I'm still in touch with professors who who I worked with in higher ed. And like I said, our texts were watching clips of videos on YouTube and discussing them and critiquing them and rescoring them. And um, I think that's really the value and the difference between just hearing and knowing the information and really, truly implementing that into what I do. So, so that's an interesting thing, the, the, the idea of the curated list. And as you know, in our program, and I'm sure this is true for faculty across the country, we, we don't actually see YouTube as an enemy per se. We want to just make sure that we help choose the right videos so that the information is accurate, right? Right. And so that we can provide context for right. why that is. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a great uh, example from uh, an earlier experience that I had. I, so in a previous place where I worked, we were asked to create a video mockumentary about our president who was celebrating 30 years of his presidency at this one college. And President Wyatt's face is going, 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody should <laughs> should ever be subjected to that. Anyway, um, I was working with a, a video editor who was young and very excited. Now, these are back in the, the early days of Avid Media Composer and Boris, and uh, I'm, I'm throwing out things here that were uh, that are kind of still around, but but th they were brand new and exciting things. And as I was working with this young person, I said, I need this to be in documentary style. So I want just to have a, a lower third with the person's name. We're doing, we're doing man on the street, woman on the street interviews. And it's all supposed to look serious and like a newscast, but it's, but it's all very tongue in cheek. So what will, what will help make it funny is if it looks like a newscast and you just bring up this little nameplate with the person's name and what they do, and then it fades back up. So it'll come up and be up for four seconds and then it'll go away. So she went to the video editing suite and came back and was so excited to show me her work. And, and, uh, we saw it and, the letters came cartwheeling in literally they they would you know tumble in because it was some new thing that one of the software programs would do and i said no no i i don't want to actually really pay too much attention to what this is it 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 doesn't need to be um drawing attention to itself this is just the name of the person you know in documentary yeah. style yeah and she went back came back and it was wrong went back came back and it was wrong and i it occurred to me after the third time that that we were not having the same conversation because i kept saying documentary style and she didn't know what i was talking about right and and so it was one of those moments where learning a tool 
is a great thing, and it's a, it's one of the things that YouTube actually does really well. Um, it it you can figure out how to start something up or how to uh, open up a file or how, but but it doesn't teach you the context of how to apply the tool as right. well, and um, it, and in this particular case. This was the tool doing the editing, not the editor using the tool. And right. uh, and so when when I see people who uh, who do that, I I know almost immediately what their background has been. Their background has been a YouTube tutorial because they they lack um, they lack the the breadth of experience and the breadth of context that's necessary to accurately. Uh, and and effectively use that tool they've just learned how to switch it on and to make it do a few tricks does that make sense it does absolutely there's there's a history behind that tool you know it's it's just as if you were learning music history or another type of a you know applicable history software development history there's there's a history behind even that lower third even those letters coming in right and the theory of applying them is somewhat historically performed, right? It, it's comical that they cartwheel in, right? Right. It, it belongs on a um, Kids Incorporated video or <laughs> Mickey Mouse Club, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely. You, any of these tutorials I look at as as possible text, right? And in place of um, the the popular model before. When I was a freshman, I, I had a teacher who wrote his own textbook and he sold lots and lots of copies <laughs> to his students. And I look at them as if they are the text. And so they work in complement with the actual instructor. Um, but the instructor is the one who has to provide framework, like the the learning model of of how those are applied, what is applied and and when is a, a appropriate use case to apply those things you're right the the tools are so powerful today so much more powerful that they you know given um the advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning facebook has ways to literally edit videos together for you you just plug in some pictures or it even searches your your photos and creates these little montages for you eventually Editing is going to be a function of AI, right? Yep. But will that be as good as a person with the historical performance knowledge or historical application knowledge or any of that? I, I would think um, not right now. Yeah. In my case, Zuckerberg finds the foremost random photos that yeah. they could possibly find on Facebook and says, here, right. Steve, what, what, what? I don't <laughs> understand that video at all. <laughs> I don't remember Which is that why picture. I never post. Exactly. Well, <laughs> why am I eating something in every one of these? <laughs> That's right. Well, in my particular case, if you could see me, you'd know. Um, <laughs> anyway, President, <laughs> you and I have actually had a podcast on this subject where we've talked about um, open source texts, and we've talked about really reducing the cost of higher education for students. And so, so YouTube as Dan just pointed out, YouTube fills that role very well. There, there are things that, that we used to have to create or could only be found in a textbook that are now available um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, very often in beautifully produced fashion that, uh, that 
tell you as much as a textbook chapter or more uh, and and sh- actually show you how to do something. And in that way, I think YouTube is actually a great improvement over a standard textbook. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I, I, I keep thinking that um, it's been fun to listen to the two of you talk back and forth a little bit about some of these skills, um, techniques that um, are important in order to accomplish some task, and then learning some of the background for it in the broader context. Um, universities um, are more than um, simply teaching skills to accomplish certain tasks. And, and that's one of the things that I've just been thinking about as well, that um, there's a lot of character development and um, socialization and mentoring and um, helping build connections and, help, and uh, leading a student from um, developing that broader context. You know, when I was in law school, we didn't learn one thing about how to be a lawyer. <laughs> yes. We learned about how to think like a lawyer. Right. And, um, and then build connections between law school and employers and, and internships. You know, it's interesting to think of the purpose of, of all this. That's fun. So has law school evolved? In- the law school's evolved quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I did have an internship in law school, but I remember in my first year, somebody asked the the uh, property instructor, professor, you know, because he was talking about something from ancient <laughs> English common law. And somebody said, what's the current rule in Utah? And his answer was to look at him quizzically and say, uh... Why do you care about that? <laughs> and as students, we all thought, are you serious? That's all we care about. What's the law that applies today? Right. And his answer was, I don't know why you even care. And it took me years to figure out his point. His point was, the laws change every day. Right. The technology changes every day. And unless you have a broad understanding of the principles and concepts and the history of all these things, then, you, then you're going to try to learn something, and you might learn it, but then you don't know what to do tomorrow when it changes. And so what we were learning to do at law school was we were learning how to think like a lawyer. We were learning how to learn to learn, and we were learning how to research and find things that are challenging to find. Uh, and in our particular case, in, in the music technology program, we've, we've focused somewhat on that idea of what it means to be a thinking and learning and earning musician. And so we've, we've tried to bridge the gap that exists traditionally between theoretical knowledge and actual hands-on creation. And, and I think that's another one of those things that YouTube actually does fairly well. You you mentioned socialization. One of the things that coming to university does, of course, is now you've all of a sudden got 10,000 friends. But Dan and I teach in an online-only 
discipline and music technology. And so one of the ways in which we get over that hump of students not being in the same room with the teacher is we have discussion forums and other things. And one of the best ways to create conversation is to have students watch a shared YouTube video where they will, the, and Dan, I think is actually brilliant at this. He'll, he'll find some topic about, about which there is a documentary film or, or something. He'll have students watch it and then he'll curate a discussion about it in his class. Dan, how did you, how did you come about that? I mean, you're not, you're not a traditionally trained teacher in the, in the sense that uh, you went to an education school and, and all that. Was that, was that self-learned? Did you, did you think back about what would, uh, what would have been more effective for you? That is a great question. So, um, interestingly, I feel like that was the learning model of my master's degree was, um, the, the sources were never just an instructor at the front of the class telling me what they, what they had learned or had come to know. The sources were always a third party, whether it was a documentary or a video or, uh, an article or something. It was, it was so much so that I honestly, feel like it was a facilitated discussion more than a lecture ever. And um, everything was done in reaction to something we had watched or listened to or read um, online curated by that instructor. So I think that was just the model that I was thinking of, of how I had how I had learned to find answers online, um, which interestingly, uh, President Wyatt, you mentioned that the law changes all the time, right? And uh, you're teaching people to think like lawyers. Um, the major struggle is teaching people to be able to research and solve their own problems once they're gone, when they don't have a professor just to quickly message in Canvas or online or in an email or something. They, And so oftentimes I find myself in the situation where I am asking students when they have a question, I'm asking them, where have you looked? before I give them an answer, because they've got to be able to walk away and have confidence that they can leverage the tools to find the most updated information, uh, which is why sometimes I'm, I'm leveraging online resources way more than any text in, in another form, because the time to market is so short. Um, it's a lot of the times it's more up to date than what I can find inside of a library, right? Like it, it takes, yeah whatever length of time it takes me to record and then upload a video for it to be live for everyone to see. So I think the model that I just kind of found that I learn best in is examining sources um, and then discussing them with other people. And I was hoping that students find that that same model to be the most effective in so much that I often like to get them stuck. So they have to go research something before they can continue. I will tell you as Dan's department chair that uh, his classes are exceptionally highly rated as a result of that. Um, I think the students are, I, I get phone calls sometimes from Dan's students saying, at the right at the beginning of the semester saying, uh, he's not giving us the answers. <laughs> yeah, I know he's not, <laughs> and I'm not going to either. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. President, you're 
not many people know this about you. Maybe uh, you're not you not only are a teacher here at SU, you you teach a, uh, an honors forum about the Civil War, but but you're also a student, right? Yeah, and yeah, and in an online program, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a mix, it's online and face to face combination. Have you found? Have you found that delivery method that that uses this multiple well, source? Well, let me let me back up a step. Um, so several years ago, uh, when I was working at my prior school, I I was just looking for somebody to have great conversation with, um, so I could have a more disciplined effort in reading. I mean, I, I had things I was very interested in, but um, but I felt like I was missing something. I could read a book, but there wasn't a group of people to sit around and talk about it with. And it's that discussion that, that really makes it so exciting. And where, where, I, where I have my impressions of what I'm reading, then I get somebody else's and somebody else's, and, and then kind of an expert who can help us see all this. So, so I signed up for a, a master's degree from a private liberal arts school in Ohio, Ashland University. And, and it's a really neat program because it allows um, a person to just fly back for a week, spend a week there in intensive study, and then come home and do reading, and then fly back for another week. And I've been doing that for a number of years. Um, and, and, and then they modified the program to have some of the classes be online but they're live. We're all seeing each other. The program is a program that allows us to see every student in small classes. And, but I, but I think this idea that I can just grab a book and grab a YouTube tutorial and and learn everything I need to learn about American history and government uh, that was never as successful as sitting down in a group and talking about it yeah youtube versus university it's just you can get some skills and specific pieces of information but you can't weave it all together and fully right. understand it there's you you lose the connections to other things you lose the context and you lose the the depth of understanding i was i was sharing with uh with dan and president wyatt the the fact that i had spent this past weekend assembling a tool chest on wheels in my garage and uh, that it had been a gift from my wife for Father's Day, and and we that was last uh, week, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I'm now two months uh, behind. Sorry, honey. Anyway, um, I was struggling a little bit with it, and frankly, had followed the directions and and had run into a couple of dead ends and couldn't figure out why my picture didn't look like their picture and so forth. And so I jumped online and here was a funny guy in Tennessee um, that was putting together the exact same thing and had gone to the trouble to make a video of it. And he was hilarious and and kept saying, now don't follow the instructions here. You'll run into trouble if you follow the instructions. It was perfect for me. It was It was ideal. And within 30 minutes, all my problems were fixed and I had a, a tool chest on wheels, but I didn't really know how to 
use the tool chest. I didn't know why I had the tool chest. I didn't really know anything too much about the guy that had taught that to me or why why he had chosen that particular tool chest. And so a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here and a lot of stuff that you deal with every day, Dan, is is it's providing context and connection. Absolutely. Well, well, and I, let me throw in a little side story here. So I visited a mine, pretty sophisticated mining operation. And uh, the question that I asked um, as we were standing in the maintenance shed, shed is understating this place, (laughs) this huge maintenance shop for a very successful uh, mining operation. And I said, what can we help? What can we teach people that are coming to work for you? And I, and I had my own expectations that the skills, sure. right? A whole series of skills. I've got, I need to hire people that can do this and do this and do this. And that wasn't even the answer. The answer was every single person I hire, I want to be a potential manager. It just shocked so, me. They need he didn't. He didn't say a word about welding. He didn't say a word about um, any of these other sophisticated operations that people needed to do. And, and it was a high tech mine. It was a really high tech mine. GPS buckets. What? Um, Three dimensional coring. Um, this mine, they knew. They knew. They they were able to map the entire reservoir. And so the bucket could be operated by GPS to hit the precise point that maximizes profits. This is super sophisticated. He didn't talk about any of those things. He just said, every person we hire, I want to be a potential manager. So would you please make sure they learn critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills and oral communication skills and written communication skills, all the kinds of things that are really difficult to learn on YouTube. They're the kinds of things that you learn um, uh, at a university in classes and with mentors. That's right. People that can that can actually read what you're writing and say, well, let's let's talk about this for a minute," or, or that was a great argument that you just made verbally, but let's let's go back and think of it in different ways. Very personalized kind of thing. The soft skills. Um, that's absolutely right, actually. And I hear that day in and day out from what in my job at Pluralsight, I, I'm a curriculum manager right now. And we talk to a lot of enterprise customers who say that exact same thing, whether they're in mining or or healthcare or anything else, they, they have a craving for people that have the soft skills that they can be emotionally intelligent in how they deal with other people or customers or coworkers or managerial reports. Like, that is definitely a huge part of the discussion that you sought out when you went um, to that school, President Wyatt, is that the view, being able to view issues from another point of view and discuss them intelligently and not in a condescending way. And and you're right, that is an absolute skill that is in really high demand. Well, and um, yeah, we're, we're seeing this in a lot of places, aren't we, Dan? It's It's not limited to one industry it's everywhere i um it's 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 so interesting to see how that works and and another skill that employers uh that i talk to are desperate for are team working skills uh, p- 
please yes. don't please don't send me somebody that hasn't had multiple experiences working on a project with a team because once I hire this person they're going to have to work as a team and uh, and I, and so you you don't learn that on YouTube you, YouTube is no, a one I, person and one computer experience that's and right employers are looking for a multi-person team who mm-hmm. know how to work together and um, compliment each other be patient with one another because they've done it right right yeah yeah top 10 list of how to be a a team player (laughs) on a youtube video (laughs) is not the same as experience working on a project with a team absolutely and we've all done this in college the the team projects were our most frustrating thing because there was always one person that didn't do any work at all that's right right (laughs) right but those are the kinds of things we have to learn to be successful in the workplace. You know, I, as I've been listening to this, I, I hearken back to something that I think we've mentioned in a couple of our podcasts, and it, it, uh, it's from a book uh, by a man named Jeffrey Salingo. Um, and it, it's actually what got me thinking about this and, and got the president and I talking about this podcast. And Salingo talks about the a, a trip that he made to IBM training anyway long story short the man that had been in charge of training for new IBM employees and they spent almost a billion dollars a year in in getting their employees to think like big blue you know and uh, he said that they had gone from hiring i-shaped people to hiring t-shaped people they still wanted people that had great depth of knowledge and understanding but they couldn't use people who were just the world's best at one thing. They needed people who had that set of soft skills. They had the ability to not only have a really deep knowledge in in uh, an area, but also cross-training, cross-knowledge uh, that allowed them to be really important members of a team. And uh, and And that, again, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about that – is a skill that's developed in a university that's not developed in a tutorial. Well, and sometimes it's uh, so. So here, I, I hired a chief information officer, the person who ran all of our IT at a college, and he had not gone to college for that subject. Um, but the fact that he went to college, earned a bachelor's degree, earned a doctorate, and along the way um, had educational experiences and learning uh, led him to be qualified to run an IT department. But it was the master's, the bachelor's degree and the doctorate degree that gave him that breadth right. of understanding that he could work with others and solve problems and and have the critical thinking. Anyway, it's interesting. A lot of people end up in careers that were not their major in college. Including all of us right Including now. Including all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, wasn't a, I didn't major in higher ed administration. That's right. And I do teach music, but I, most of my job is not that anymore. But it, but it goes to speak to the fact that the specific um, technical skills 
are very different than the broad understanding um, that we've been discussing today. They're both important. They are. Hey, Dan, in your mm-hmm. day, in your day job with Pluralsight, what do you what do you find is the biggest challenge that you have in keeping that balance between um, practical application and theoretical knowledge? In other words, your 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 primary focus is on in, in this job is on training for corporate customers. Do they? How how do you how do you in, envelop uh, all of those things that they say they want? So so yeah, I want them to learn how to use this tool, but I also I need them to be a, a team member. I need to how do, how do you do that in an online situation? Great question. So Pluralsight, I'm lucky in that they are very um, open minded as to what they consider worth teaching, but they also really know who their audience is currently. Um, And so as far as the enterprise customers go, we allow them to really select and and decide which courses they might, um, through the platform, prescribe to their particular um, employees. Now, the majority of the content is technology-based, so it's like software development, IT ops, data professional type stuff. And I find that um, the... The hardest thing is the soft skills because it they're experiential. Um, we really can nail the information when it comes to coding in this language or setting up this server or whatever it is that you have to do. That that we can nail and we can actually create interactive courses that allow them to do projects, you know, whether it's like coding in the browser or something and get immediate validation and feedback on whether they've done it right. So they get the practical application of the skill itself. Um, the the learning development leaders at the different companies, though, are it's really in their hands. You know, the the human touch there is, it's in their hands to to do what happens next. You know, if there's a mentorship relationship, that has to happen at the company. So, it's not much different, really. They there's still the human aspect there that has to give them that guidance and growth and ladder in the company and all of that. We we do have content that tries to enumerate soft skills and um, enlighten people to things they may not have considered before about emotional intelligence or um, even management skills and things like that. But, but verifying those, I can't create a project that says, um, you know, that, that verifies or validates whether or not someone has empathy. Um, I can test on whether or not they can code in the language. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, this is this is why, um, as an analogy, this is why parents um, and a child are so important. And uh, you can't raise a child by sending them to YouTube to learn the skills. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for... Um, joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University. We've been joined via telephone today by Dan Andereg, who's an adjunct here at SUU in music technology and also a curriculum guru for the Pluralsight folks. 
Visit Pluralsight.com if you want to know more about that. President, thank you so much for letting me have uh, Dan join us. I, I thought that was a very stimulating and interesting discussion. Agreed. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.